now available on six floppy disks. It's the This Game Web podcast with me, Chris, and... Me, Ashley. Hello, everybody. Hmm. Is that one of mine? Uh, yeah, it is. Yes. Six floppy disks. Originally, it was now available as a pair of floppies, some sort of vaguely smutty thing. So I, I Why didn't tailored you use it that? that? That was the whole point. Because six floppy disks is relevant for today's episode, this game. Mm, Monkey Island 2. So do you want to, next time, should I go for now available as a pair of floppies just to get the, the smut in again? Well, it should have been. It should have okay. been now available as a, yeah. It's not really a joke if you've the way you've done it, but... It's fine. It's I've fine. Messed, I've messed up again. I'm sorry. Is it Monkey Island 2? <laughs> Less than a minute in. Well, this week we're doing this game where your character has a unique name. It's set in the Caribbean and it's inspired by a ride. Now, fact you fans give might your notice. Stuff away. Fact fans might in notice all that's the, different the exact ways. same blurb as in episode 45. I think you just do sequels so that you can be lazy. I'm, that's, that's what I'm starting to cotton on to. Because you do the, you, you did that for Sonic Two and Sonic Two. You did the same game and you used the same blurb. You've done it again here. I'm pretty sure you did it for Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid Virtual Missions or something like that. So we've got like six games there that that you've covered with three blurbs. I'm not impressed. Uh, yeah. All right. Guilty. Guilty is charged. Yeah. Uh, yes. It is. The, it is Monkey Island Two. Yeah. Why? So not only did you ruin the joke that I wrote for you. You also gave away the game before it even started. I was quite impressed, actually, that you knew that what it was from the fact it was six floppy disks. Hats off Were to you? you? Yeah. Thanks. How did you know that? Well, partly because you're you. What's I know the sorts of games that you... Well, I'm telling you. I know right. the sorts of games that you would have been playing on floppy disk. I didn't play or on did floppy disk. Did you not play this on floppy disk? Oh, no. okay. When did, what did you play it on? PC. Well, that's, that was my think. That was my thinking. Yeah. Well, that, they run bloody floppy disks. What? What? My goodness me! You are hard work. What? What do you think a floppy disk is? Uh, about yay big, three and a half inches. Right. Blue. But, yeah. Well, yes and no. They can come in any colour, can't they? I, 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 I'm flabbergasted. I don't know what you talk. I just said to you, <laughs> let's let's just chart this this conversation so far. I just said to you, it's the sort of game that I figured you'd be playing. On a flop, like, and I meant on a floppy disk because of the time that you would have been playing it, and it's on your uncle's computer and all that. I said that to you, and you went, "I didn't play it on a floppy disk. I played it on a PC." <laughs> yeah, all right. I, I, I can hear I, that. I mean, li- now you're really back. That does sound like nonsense. People listening to this podcast, you're starting, I think, to understand what I'm working with. It's it's difficult sometimes. It's difficult, and people wonder why I get irate. 99 episodes in, we're unspooling, aren't we? We were unspooling at episode three, I think. <laughs> oh, God. Right, anyway, right. it's a good game. It's a good game. Monkey Island 2, six floppy disks. I know it's on six floppy disks because I've read about the game. I'm sure there were lots of other games that were on six floppy disks, but this is one that I thought you'd have played and therefore would have been in the in the running hmm. on yeah, the well. offing. It is, but uh, but not on floppy disk. I, I'm genuinely quite impressed that you managed to retain that knowledge. Right, before I start talking about the game, I would recommend that if you haven't listened to episode 45, which was the first Monkey Island game, that you return to that to remind yourselves of the 
uh, generics to do the game and the development of Monkey Island 1 because there's going to be a lot of kind of overlap as we go through with this, uh, picking up on people that came up in that episode. So uh, if you haven't listened to that, maybe go and listen to that first. Mm-hmm. What episode is it? Episode 45. Four, 45. Five. Hmm. I, don't know what, I don't know what the bingo term is for that. Um, for no, me neither. No, 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 no. Probably something vaguely rude. Yeah, like yeah. two floppies. <laughs> Probably. The game was released in December 1991. After the first one came out in October 1990, so a very, very short turnaround. It was initially released on the Amiga, the Mac, and MS DOS, and is a direct sequel to the first game featuring many of the same characters. Whoa! What was that for? I, I was just, I was just. I don't. I don't know what to say to that. What was I supposed to say? I was trying to be enthusiastic. All right. Well, yeah. Okay. Normally, I, I'd have gone. Normally, I'd have gone. And this has got past you before. Normally, I'd have gone. Okay. And you'd have <laughs> just carried on. I, I try and inject some enthusiasm into it, and you pick me up on it. I, and now it's a thing. I'll just. <laughs> I'll just be stoic and immovable. <laughs> Silent again. As has come out already in the wash, I played this in around I think two thousand on the PC after playing. Discworld, um, which we took cover back in episode three, when I really got into adventure games, and I think again I talked about this back in episode forty-five. I had both the Monkey Island games were in this this huge hulking great double pack where it was the the two cardboard boxes that the PC games came in. It was the two of them side by side with this enormous cardboard sleeve uh, covering both of them together. It was massively excessive for having those two games together. Yeah, it was, it was a nice red box. I remember that though. It was the sold out software range, but instead of being white, which it usually was, it was red. Oh, really? That's interesting. Mm. I've never seen a, a red one that I can think of. Um, for anyone that can't be asked to go and listen to the Monkey Island episode, we're going to have to just reiterate why those things happen. There, it was a double pack, so it took up more space on a shelf. There we go. It was a sales technique. Ridiculous. They were too big anyway. PC games. Yeah, absolutely, it was ridiculous. The game is a point-and-click game and was developed and published by LucasArts. Well, although having said that, I'm going to clarify that further. The first game was developed by Lucasfilm Games, and between mm. October 1990 with the first game and December 1991 with this game coming out, the whole shebang was rebranded as LucasArts. So even though it's the exact same company, everything it's just it's a different name. Yeah, which I thought was quite interesting. The key team is the same as the first one. So again, as I said, I'm going to mention a few names now that we're talked about at great length in the first one. Oh, pardon. I, I tried to say Gilbo. Gilbo. Like Gilbo, Gilbo Baggins, but uh, <laughs> I, it came out Gibbo. Don't know who that he, is. I think he quite liked being called Gilbo Baggins. That's quite a nice little nickname. Gilbo is Ron Gilbert, who directed and designed uh, the entirety of the series. Tim Schafer, aka the leader of Double Fine. And then number three, who I can never remember. Dave Grossman, who went on to Dave. work for Telltale Games. Yeah, I'm a baddie. Then, I, I always forget his name. To, to be fair, I wasn't particularly okay with his name either. I had to look into that earlier. Uh, the, the Gilbert and Schaefer are the two kind of that, that stick in, in, in my craw. And then yeah. the fourth name that's linked to this, Steve Purcell. Does that ring any bells? Yeah, we talked about Steve before. We did. Yeah, Steve, he went on to do some other stuff. He designed Summer Max. I think he even created yeah. Summer Max as well, I'm not quite sure. But mm. he also, if you can picture the... Obviously, you mentioned you, you know this game. If you can picture the box art for Monkey Island 2, Steve Purcell designed that himself. It's a, a painting that he made himself completely. Oh, nice. And, I didn't know that. 
it was it was inspired by or he wanted to uh, reference kind of like make it look like the, the front cover of a like a classic fiction book about pirates and he really went in for this sort of style of, of art and it is a it's a really nice front cover taking it, it's it sums up kind of the, the key parts of the game the characters the voodoo aspect the the, the pirate nature of it it was all sums up in this this beautiful piece of artwork i've googled steve purcell and he does look pretty cool he looks cool yeah i think so he's wearing hats Oh well, there you he's go. he's wearing hats. Well, there's one particular image where he's got like a I don't know what sort of hat that is, but it's like a gangster's hat, and he's got a real big grin, and he looks well happy. He's probably having a right good day. I in think that he photograph. would be wearing that. Yeah, uh, can, can he, looks, rock, he looks good. Can you rock a hat? I don't think so. No, I, I look silly think. in the hat. Yeah, yeah, he's got another one. Sorry about talking about Steve Purcell's hats, but he's got another one where he's wearing it slightly jaunty. Brilliant. In fact, this one's this one's good enough. I'm going to send you the link because he's stood in what looks like a an art gallery, but when you act, when when you look behind it at the image, it's actually um, Lechuk in a very nice frame, and he's wearing his hat at John Tiangle. Oh, he looks lovely. He kind of looks a bit like a, a softer version of Indiana Jones. Yeah, or a a, sl- a, a fun supply teacher. <laughs> that feels like a backhanded compliment, Chris. Oh, it's not meant to. Maybe okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, mm. I think the the picture behind him is the front cover of the first Monkey Island game, so presumably he did that as well. Mm. Looks good. Oh, it says there he was a writer and co-director of Brave. I didn't know that. No, neither did I. That's that's a pretty good little tangent as well. That's very impressive. Mm. Yeah, of course. So Steve Purcell. The game, as I said, is point and click. Uh, again, if anyone's not familiar with how the game is structured, you've got a collection of verbs displayed in the bottom left, an inventory in the bottom right. You string these together to create a sentence line beneath the action window. So if you've got, for example, I don't know, an envelope and you, you click on the verb for open, then click on the envelope, then Guybrush Threepwood, the character you play as, will open the envelope and reveal the contents within that envelope. The game is renowned for having that similar sort of sense of humour as the first one as well um, I think this one's a, a bit funnier possibly, I don't know actually what, what do you think, do you think this one's funnier or less funny than the first one? Um, or about the same, in, in the humour rates I, I, th- I think they feel like the, the same game, it, it in the best way yeah. it, it's part one and part two really, to me I don't think of them, I'm probably wrong and I've I, I've probably got lots of people shouting at me and turning the podcast off saying that but it does just feel like a continuation of part one in terms of humor and everything about it really just feels like second part yeah absolutely it feels like the first one just kind of um expanded and continued actually is a one of my sort of bits of uh tidbits of information about the game and and i mean that in the right in the best again i mean that in the best way i don't mean like it was just regurgitating what had come before or anything like that i mean that it you know like sonic 3 where they cut it in half because it was too big and yeah everything well this feels like that done right you know yeah it feels like they told a complete story in part in number one and then number two was a continuation of the complete story that you didn't know you needed it wasn't necessarily it, it didn't come out of bad reasons like sonic 3 it came out of i'm i'm rambling but basically i'm saying it's a second it, it they're the same thing in a good way that's what yeah. i'm saying no, I, I completely agree. The, the The first game, again, for anyone that's not familiar, the first game saw Guybrush Threepwood attempting to become a successful pirate, and the second game picks up that story. At this point, he is now a successful pirate, and it's about him learning to um, deal with that, I suppose. The, the plot is that... Successful in, in relative terms. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, it, it starts off with him as a successful quote unquote pirate on Scab Island searching for the legendary treasure of Big Whoop. Would you say whoop or whoop? Whoop, I would have said. I can't remember quite the voice actors that were added in. As in, big whoop. You mm. know, when people are saying something doesn't mean anything or doesn't matter. Ah, big whoop. They don't yeah, say that big whoop, do they? Well, I, I was assuming it was big whoop, but like, sort of like the noise you make on a roller coaster to tie into the ending, which we'll talk about in a few oh, minutes. Oh, no, it was, the le- it was the legend of big whoop because the, the whole idea of the treasure being like pointless and meaningless. Big whoop. Ah, okay. And it, not like, it, not like, ooh, exciting treasure. It was like big whoop because it, it's a MacGuffin. Yes, it is. To yeah. the story, it's a pointless, meaningless right. That thing to pursue. Sense. And you just yeah. mentioned it, it's a treasure, and it, it, in the game, Guybrush is pursuing this thing, but it's never clarified if it's a treasure, if it's a location, if it's a, a state of being. It's just this this thing that he's chasing, which again is is quite funny, I guess, in a way. The fact that it's never actually clarified what it is. Well, I suppose that's in a in a that feels very much like a, the MacGuffin thing again. So kind hmm. of, uh, like it doesn't really, it, none of it really matters. That's that's no, the point. Completely. Yeah. So he's he's on this island searching for, for Big Whoop and he's being thwarted at every turn by Largo Legrand, who is the former first mate of LeChuck, who was the antagonist of the first game, who was a ghost that Garbage defeated at the end of the first game, and Largo is understandably quite aggrieved, quite annoyed about that. Kind of going back to what you just said, that the first game ends as a complete story, but then this springs out from that in quite a logical direction with that and again I, I agree with your point it does it does work really well in terms of the actual development of the game again linking into what you've said ron gilbert himself was also concerned that number one wasn't going to sell very well upon release and going back to when it came out in late 1990 getting hold of sales figures was quite a a lengthy process and obviously mm. wasn't quite as instantaneous as it is nowadays so what he started doing was as soon as the first one had finished was completely finished and had gone to be mastered and produced etc he then immediately immediately started developing the second one like creating art for it and starting to write some code etc for it with his, his logic being that if lucas arts went back to him and said oh we're not gonna do a second one he could then say to them well i've already started it so we might as well do yeah. it because otherwise you've paid me to you know waste, waste a lot of time but fortunately they went back to him and said that the first one sold really well can you do a second one at which point he was then able to say oh look what i've started doing and mm. then he was able to earn a bit a few brownie points for kind of having the initiative i guess hmm. good so was he working on that on his own without tim or dave I think from what i found out looking into this that he was just doing a few bits and bobs kind of laying the groundwork for what would be in the second one like a, a bit of artwork etc things like that and then presumably okay. once they got the green lights kind of um got the got the team back together right brought the band back together you missed that's the trick. i did that was exactly the phrase i was reaching for my apologies when you think of this game then what springs to mind for you uh the end yeah no, not necessarily in the best way oh okay unfortunately uh being in the in the corridor and having to run away from oh sorry hang on spoilers <laughs> for a game that's 30 years old being in the corridor and having to run away from the truck and being constantly chased down and not really having anywhere to hide for any prolonged period of time it i was quite we we played it again me and hannah we played it before we played it again two years ago and i remember even though we'd played it before being quite lost as to what we were supposed to be doing and going around in a few circles and getting caught quite a lot of times and having to go back to the start of it and mm. going round and round and round. 
the idea with that is it's harking back to the first one where you, you're basically creating the, the potion to, to defeat him as a ghost. But I guess for people that haven't played the first one or maybe couldn't remember how to do it in the first one, it's quite difficult. It's also quite abstract. In, in we the first played one, them you have back to, to get, back. Well, in, in the first one, you have to get, is it the root root ginger ginger root or something? And then Ginger beer. Gin- it's, yes, ginger. Yeah, it's, it's one of them's ginger beer, and then this one is root of ginger or vice versa. I can't quite remember what the order is. So it's it's kind of no, taking taking the established idea, but then doing mm. it in a different way that's a bit more abstract, perhaps. Yeah, requiring lateral thinking across two games. Which again, I suppose that speaks to the to the idea that these are just two halves of the same product, yeah, the same thing. Yeah. Because they're kind of expecting that you've played. If if what you're saying is the case, and I, I can't remember because it was a couple of years ago, but if if that's the case, then they're kind of expecting that you have played the first one. And remembered. Yeah, and then remembered, which we didn't. Yeah. And we played them back to back over the course of a week. <laughs> wow. So, When you said ending, I thought you meant what happens after that, which is yeah, interesting. Well, it is interesting. Um, uh, I, I assumed that that's what you thought I meant. I didn't. I mean, I mean the actual getting rid of LeChuck. I mean, what 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 do you want me to say about that la- that uh, the end? What do you want me to say about the ending? Again, for anyone that's not not played the game or doesn't know, uh the game culminates with this, as Ashley's explained, this this chase sequence between LeChuck, the antagonist, and Guybrush the protagonist, with you playing as Guybrush trying to, to stop LeChuck and take him down. When you succeed in doing so, the game as as you said, it's been taking place in those corridors. Once you succeed in doing so, it then is revealed that it's taken place in the corridors of a theme park with some allusions to the theme park being a um, alternative version of one of the islands you've explored previously in the game. And that it then goes into this sequence where Guybrush is a sort of eight, nine-year-old boy and then there's his older brother who's called Chucky who's been annoying him and chasing him around this theme park with the inference being for the player that the whole two games have taken place as uh, as like a, as a, as a what a metaphor as an imagination as an ima- imaginary game of, yeah. uh, of pirates between him and his brother and that ending has never actually been clarified as to what's going on there's been lots of talk and speculation and people finding little clues hidden within both games as to what's going on i actually found out again researching for this that during development gilbert knew that this game that we're playing today would be the second one in a trilogy However, when the game was released, it had really, really amazing reviews, but poor sales, ironically enough, due to a lot of software piracy. And because oh, really? of Yeah. And because of the poor that. because of the poor sales, LucasArts didn't want to do a third one. But then they then changed their mind several years later and a third yeah. game did eventually come out in nineteen ninety seven, by which point the the key players in creating this game, so Ron Gilbert, Tim Schafer, and Dave Grossman had all left and gone to different things. So the third game was created by an entire different team. And Ron Gilbert never told them, he hasn't told anyone at all, it's this big thing. He's never told anyone at all what the ending actually meant. So we we, meaning we as in everyone, all, all the players of the game, don't don't know for sure what the what the true meaning is because he's never disclosed it. He said that had he been involved in the third one, he would have done it carry on straight away and would have would have made it make sense, but uh, or would have explained it at least, but uh we, we don't know. It, interesting as well, the ending, that whole sequence, was added really, really late on because they or they, I say they, because Gilbert himself didn't know how the game was going to end. And they decided, and he decided to sort of tack this on really, really late in, in the development of the game. Right. 
Uh, Tachyton's maybe maybe quite the wrong phrase. He he had he, he had decided the idea that to... that was the resolution. Uh, yeah, very late on in in the day. That's fine, I, I suppose. That's often how I think creative processes work. You mm, find yeah, that definitely surprises come out of the process. I think sometimes people don't realise that actually when you're making something. Yes, there are people that can plan things out point to point to point and and it will be exactly as they, or not exactly, it'll be by and large what they had planned. But I think there's just as much merit in some people who they call themselves pantsers uh, or flying by the seat of your pants sort of Uh, thing. So you, you start writing, you have a good basis of who the characters are and what they're like and you might learn new things about them as you write um, and you have a general idea of your trajectory but then when things happen that so but then sometimes things happen that surprise you the characters mm-hmm. behave in a way that you didn't expect but feels right and maybe that's what is going on here that he's a bit of a pantser i i think personally i think it's a brilliant editing i really like the fact that it leaves you to work out what has happened and draw your own conclusion from it and also like the fact that he's never actually clarified just what it is i think it's a really clever piece of storytelling and i remember playing this when i was sort of 13 14 and cu- kind of being able to understand enough of what was going on to work out and draw my own conclusion from it which was pretty much what everyone else has said the whole theme park illusion and thinking it was amazing mm. yeah i don't have strong so i think we probably d- touched on this i don't have huge i don't have strong connections to these games in the, in the way that if you're talking to hannah or if you're talking to another friend of mine, um, they they both played it when they were in sort of formative points in their lives. Right, I think. okay. And I didn't play it at a formative... I came to it late. I came to it after I'd... Actually, after I'd played a lot of other um, adventure games. So, And, and I knew that, that it was sort of like the one of the granddaddies of of the genre. So I went back and played this and, and uh, the first one using DOSBox. Yep. So I don't have those strong, like, nostalgic attachments to it. I didn't have a massively, I didn't have a very strong reaction to the end. So you're sort of, you're you're trying to pull out of me what my feelings are on it. And I think my feelings are that it happened, to be quite quite blunt. It's, it's not bad. I don't think it's bad. But I don't think that it's blow blow my mind clever either. I think that it makes the whole game feel makes the story feel sort of nice in a in a warm fuzzies kind of way, like it's two brothers who and and I think that as much as you said that it Chucky's running around the theme park after him after his brother and terrorizing him and that, I think that that it it kind of reframes the story as play rather than serious pirate business you know mm-hmm. so i like i kind of i suppose i like that like the idea of the strength the power of children's imaginations and and the fact that if that is what's going on ron gilbert click ron gilbert yeah. yeah ron gilbert clear for some reason i was thinking l ron hubbard uh then as <laughs> no. i was saying ron gilbert's no, no, no. name i was thinking l ron hubbard mm. i i like the fact that it's it's sort of a statement on the strength of children's imaginations if you read it the way that you've read it and the way that I've read it and the way that a lot of people have read it. Uh, I think there's a lot of truth in it. And I think that adults should be 
looking with a more critical eye at why we see that as a child's strength. But I think that's a different conversation and therefore I won't go down that path. So that was, that was been really interesting. So I want to talk about that. I asked you what your favourite or first memory was. You said that my first memory was the spitting contest. So I've gone for the complete other end of the spectrum in terms of maturity. Well, no, I, it wasn't. My, I mean, to be to to absolve you slightly, mine, my first memory, my strongest memory of it is the frustration of being chased around those corridors mm. by Lechuk. It wasn't. It, it wasn't the philosophical nature of the ending. It was the. It was the pre the, the moment the, just before the philosophical na- uh, philosophical ending. So yeah, don't don't at all feel bad. I think I'd probably okay. prefer to remember the spitting, to be honest. <laughs> do, do you remember the spitting competition at all? I do. Yeah, you have to get a statue or something to, or is it a bucket? I can't remember. I can't remember how you solve it, but I do remember the spitting competition. Yeah, you, you have to make it very very thick. You, you yeah, you have to drink the special in order to be able to yeah. Drink this juice to, to to make you spit thick, and then also there's this these flags are blowing in the wind in the distance, and you have to wait till they're actually yeah, blowing in the wind and the, then yeah. spit. And I remember the the moment I realised that myself because this is a game I managed to solve a lot of myself, as opposed to sit going through it with a guide, which I did with quite a few games. Although there is a slight caveat with that, which I'll come to in a few minutes. And I remember <laughs> the moment of realisation where I figured that out for myself and being really like surprised at myself and also that that elation that came out from that another another moment of that was there's a bit in the game where you have a monkey in your inventory and you have to use it as a monkey wrench yeah and again i remember thinking just i wasn't even playing the game i remember i was having a walk or something and it just crossed my mind monkey monkey wrench and then went and tried it and it worked and i was really impressed with that and apparently that was quite a, a a bit of a bone of contention between the three that created it, Ron Gilbert, Tim Schafer and Dave Grossman, because a couple of them, I think it was Tim Schafer and Dave Grossman, were a bit concerned that the idea of a monkey wrench wouldn't translate because yeah. the joke of the monkey being American. the wrench. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, my, my notes for uh, kind of my, my, my top memories of the game are there's the, there's the gambling den. There's a bit where you, there's a guy who pokes his head pokes his hands through and you have to do if and he holds up like if three is two and five is four what is one oh yeah to get into um, the to get into the door through the door yeah yeah the whole sequence where you're in a library and there's an old lady who's the librarian she wheels around this chair that makes this horrible noise as as the casters sweep on the floor and then you go through you go through the card catalogue and there's lots of references to the first game i quite enjoyed yeah, Easter that's next door it. to the place that you just said, isn't it? On yes, it is. Yeah, it's on, yeah. on the same on, on Fat Island. Mm. Um, I also remember the the characters. There's lots of really good characters in this game that were added in. There's a few that, as I said, came in from the first one as well. But Wally, the cartographer, was just this really lovely character who was just really nice. And I, mm. I, I liked I liked chatting to him and finding out what makes him. Wasn't Wally in the first one? I thought Wally was in the first one. He was in this one, and then he came. He was in the third one as well. He was right at the start of the third one. Who but was the was... cartographer on the first island where you steal his monocle or something? That's that's this one. That's Munkalan too. You you steal Wally the cartographer's monocle. Okay, so who's the one with the maps in the first one? There's the the shop owner, isn't it? Has the maps. No name. Yeah, it's just a generic shopkeeper. Okay. And I'd also remember there's this whole sequence. Again, we've we talked this idea of the, the fact that they're treating the player with mat- with maturity and expecting them to remember across the games. There's this whole dream sequence. Again, I don't know if you remember this, where Guybrush gets, he, he's climbing up a tree and he falls down and gets himself knocked out. 
and then these two apparitions appear that are his dead parents and then they dissolve into skeletons and they sing this song and it's the head bone yes. connected to the, the leg bone or whatever it is and it goes on and goes on and goes on and then later on in the game there's this whole sequence of puzzles where you've got to look out for these panels that have got the bones that were mentioned so if, if they sang the head bones connected to the leg bone the leg bones connected to the thigh bone you've got to look for the panel that's got a head a leg and a thigh on and go through that panel and mm. go, keep going and keep going and i remember really enjoying that as well i remember this is a couple of years ago not writing down what they sang and then not remembering at all but the way the whole sequence is is done you you wouldn't write it down it, it's done as quite a no, funny but this isn't the first time we've played ah, the game so i've got to write it, it down yeah yeah i also remember the uh uh the lucasarts hint line towards the end of the game do you remember this bit uh mm, no i'll say so do you remember I, I, we talked a bit about you playing adventure games do you remember in adventure games they used to sometimes especially the lucasarts ones anyway they had this helpline number you could call if you were stuck yeah yeah i yeah we never did it but yes there's a whole sequence in this one where you're lost on an island right at the end of the game and then randomly in the jungle you find a telephone box and you pick it up and then Guybrush talks to the person on the end of the, the LucasArts helpline. Mm. I remember getting stuck a lot earlier in this game and managing somehow to persuade my parents to actually phone this hint line. Yeah, I know. God knows how much it cost. Because this is 2000, this is before we got the internet, uh, before I could look for a guide on the internet. And I you, ha- you had to dialing kind of like it was like you know, press one if you're at this if you're on this island press two if you're on this island and I, i'm not really sure what i did but i ended up getting hints for the last bit of the game when i was about a third of the way into the game and then was told my dad that i had to hang up at that point because it probably cost quite a lot i've looked into the line itself and apparently if you call it now it forwards you to an at&t uh, helpline at&t being the american telecommunications giant i had to google i wasn't completely sure what they were right great yeah the magic's dead yeah so well so while i'm on this note of kind of being open about how i dealt with the game and how i got through it i said that i managed to solve quite a lot of it myself yeah about again probably about a third to about halfway through the game i remember visiting pc world and picking up a guidebook for the monkey island 3 monkey island 3 came out in 1997 i said i'm playing this game in about 2000 or so so they used to have in pc world they used to have this whole section of loads and loads of guidebooks for different games the monkey island 3 one i, I was just having a look through just because i was really into obviously monkey island at this point of, of uh of playing it at the start of the monkey island 3 guidebook it had a full guide for the entirety of monkey island 1 and monkey island 2 really? oh so i read through how to complete how to get through this this part of the game i was on and tried to commit as much of it to memory as possible because obviously i'm not buying the whole guidebook and then i i went out and sat in the back you stole the guidebook well with your brain using, using yeah so i then remember going and sitting in the back of my parents car and i found this this newspaper and i found a biro and i managed i remember scribbling as much as i could remember while it was still fresh in my memory around the edge of this newspaper <laughs> going like horizontally vertically all God the way around to, to to help me get through and i managed to get through a significant amount of the game because of that another memory i have links to completing this game is that i was in i think year eight or year nine when i was playing through this game and there was a there was a guy in my year at school guy in my class even who was uh he, he, he wasn't. It wasn't nice. He was. He was a bully. He oh. was. He was horrible. He was horrible. I was sitting next to him in lessons. You're one of those lessons where you have to. You're told who you sit next to him. I sat next to him, and like, oh yeah, my heart sinks. I was the. I was the. 
the nerd with a squeaky voice who always had have to have my bag on both shoulders. I was that kid, and my, mm. my blazer buttoned up. We were sat, and I was making awkward small talk with him. And I'm, I'm not even sure how, but Monkey Island 2 came up in conversation. Turns out that he was really into it as well. So during this this lesson, we were, I think it was maths, we were able to discuss on, 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 the, on the, the slide, talk about Monkey Island 2. But then outside of maths... He would pretend to not be friends with me or not like Monkey Island 2. He was too cool for all that. And I remember going through a phase for about a week where every morning I'd come in and side up to him and say, how do I get past this bit of the game? And he'd sort of give me like, tell me what to do next. And then <laughs> pretend, and then pretends to not, not know me. Or, you know, oh, I, I don't, don't speak to Chris. Or, oh, he's, he's not cool. Or, I went through that for about a week. And it was in that sequence you're talking about, actually, with the whole thing with the chuck in the corridors. It was I was struggling with that. And he told me to like look for the light switch because you have to do the thing where you you hover the mouse over the screen and find there's a, a certain pixel that's got the lights which you can turn it off. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I was I was told how to complete it by a, a bully that pretended not to like me. Yeah, the bully's secret best friend. Sounds yeah. like a, a Netflix show. <laughs> right, I've got a few other little odds and ends bits of trivia before we actually start playing the game. Um, this game came with two difficulty settings. There was the Monkey Classic and Monkey Light versions. The Monkey Light version had fewer puzzles in and was oh. a stins down version to enable people that were beginners to the genre or weren't quite as au fait with some of the more difficult logic puzzles enable them to play it it also in the back of the box that this mode had been specifically designed for reviewers which i, I assume is a joke oh it yeah was... i yeah i'm sorry i i'm a humorless heartless man yeah. that doesn't laugh well, at jokes so okay I, yeah i, I, I understood to, it was a joke to... good 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 that was apparently very difficult for the development team because obviously in an adventure game, a point-and-click game, you play a puzzle, you get an item, you then use that item to do something else. If that puzzle has been removed, it then becomes a headache for how does the player obtain that item? What mm. what must we get them to do instead? And having this kind of parallel way of telling the story, but also how to stretch that story and how to get the player to get the items was very challenging for the developers. Yeah, I can imagine. The developers also used the SCUM scripting language again, which stands for for script creation utility for Maniac Mansion. They added in bits to the engine for this game, which had similarly wonderful names. There was Sputum, S-P-U-T-U-M, Flem, F-L-E-M, and Bile, B-I-L-E. As I said, as we said right at the start of the episode, it was released on MS-DOS on six floppy disks. The Amiga version came on a whopping 11 floppy disks. And in order to make the game size fit onto these even six floppy disks there were some scenes and some content that had to be cut from the oh. game oh you mean the amiga version the 11 floppy no disks. on 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 both on both on the pc six discs. oh right mm. oh, okay yeah as in um, and where did that cut content end up are you, I, are you saying that existed I, in another version or it was as just far as, onto the floor. as far as i can tell from yeah just completely just just gone completely right okay as i said i played this on pc using a a, a cd-rom i'm assuming it was just the the floppy disk version just put onto cd-rom as opposed to having the content put back into it yeah but um, i think the cd-rom version didn't the cd-rom have have remastered soundtrack or something like that or cd quality music i i can't remember i'm pulling that out of the ether out of long forgotten memories not sure about that um there is an interesting point in the music actually um this came up relatively recently for us when we talked about Skyward Sword, and I was really interested to find out that Monkey Island 2 was doing this back in 1991. They programmed for the music a thing called iMuse, which is basically getting the music to react to what the player is doing. So when you're exploring the first island, the main music for the theme for that island is playing, and when you go into different locations in that island, the music will change to be the same piece of music but played by a different instrument. And then when you leave that location, 
that version of melody that's playing will then end with a little flourish to then take you back into the main theme played with the main set of instruments. And when I read about that earlier, I do actually remember that happening, but I didn't really twig that that was quite a big deal and quite interesting. No, why why would you, I suppose? Yeah, exactly. When you're playing it. Yeah, there's lots of things like that as a player that they sort of just go over your head. Mm, But actually they're massively labour-intensive and brainy, big brain ways of innovating and doing new yeah. things yeah right that's uh that's all i've got on monkey island too so shall we uh shall we set sail for scab island to see what uh have a little what go it's all about pick at the scab yep We're back, we're back, we're back, we're back from uh, the archipelago. Is it an mm. archipelago or are they various? Are they all over the place or are they like very tightly packed? It's Caribbean. I'd have pronounced it archipelago, but... Um, are you joking? No, I'm genuinely not joking. Okay. Well, you also say minyate. So. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you picking up that, on that years ago. I have learned by playing this game tonight, though, that I learned a lot of other words from it, such as peninsula, embargo, and the how much wood could a woodchuck chuck uh, saying sorry do you mean peninsula uh, yeah that one peninsula good yeah yeah i like it it's, a, it's an improvement mm. <laughs> so uh, so to answer your question i i don't even really know what most is so I, I can't possibly say an archipelago yeah i don't really know what this is a tight-knit collection of islands oh is how i would term it i, know I, I bet there's something far more technical something to do it's probably something to... is. go on Isthmus is a, a narrow bit of land that's got sea either side of it. Like Sperm Point. Yeah. On the Humber. Yeah, I believe so. I'm doubting myself now. I wish I hadn't said that. I was trying to show off and it backfired horrendously. An archipelago, sometimes called an island group or island chain, is a chain, cluster or collection of islands or sometimes a sea containing a small number of scattered islands. So yeah, a little, little group of islands. Right. So is it an archipelago or is it far flung are they far flung islands all the way across all over the place i always imagined they were relatively close to each other there is a map i can't remember which game but i'm sure there is a game might even be this one this where, one um, this one's got the sequence at the start of the second act because that's how far i got playing through it today where it does the thing that's a parody of indiana jones where it's got the the trails that instead of going from yeah. a to b they go start going towards b but then loop back around on itself and wiggles around etc yeah. and it shows that they are they're in a, in a triangle formation but obviously we don't know what the distance is between those islands no i mean it, they're it's probably a question for the ages probably yeah that's what everybody's asking about monkey island in general isn't it are the well, islands an archipelago the i'm currently reading again complete tangent i'm currently reading through that sonic encyclopedia which I mentioned, I think, in back in all of our Christmas episodes. And a couple of times where I've written it has done some, I think, tongue-in-cheek, some sort of sarcastic point about something and then put all the debate rages on to try and be a bit aloof and ironic. A and bit I, funny, I, yeah, I, I, like I, I've just done. Yeah, but, you know, that, that's that's what we do. In a relatively serious book about something like that, it's, it just comes across as a bit, a bit silly, a bit, not silly, that's the wrong mm. word, as a bit uh, mean crass i just sent you uh to get back on track on the first tangent before you went on the second tangent um not about the game but if you click on there it tells you how to pronounce archipelago at the, at the top 
So archipelago. Yep. Thank you. There you go. And you can hear a lady say it. Oh, like back in episode 95 when I had to listen to a man pronounce Lillyhammer for me for Winter Olympics. Exactly, yeah. I like that. Monkey Island 2 then. Monkey Island 2. Enjoyable. I enjoyed it. I'm I'm exactly where I thought I would be with it. It's a good it's a good old romp <laughs> that Hannah Hannah knows far more about than I. She was laughing at me fumbling my way through the puzzles today. And when you were able to ask her about a puzzle, she said, oh, yeah, you need to do this, 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 and this in order to solve it, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. She goes into, like, this weird fugue state where where her eyes glaze over and she just recites hours and hours and hours, reams and reams and reams of Monkey Island puzzles. It's not actually even just Monkey Island. It's all all adventure games in the world. It's a good ability. It is a good ability. It's it's impressive, admirable. I'm going to be honest, and she already knows this. It makes playing adventure games that she's played before with her a bit pointless because i i mean because and this is from experience the same period that we played monkey island and monkey island 2 we played a few others one of them was called torrens passage one of hannah's favorites um and it was like watching uh a savant play that game torrens passage because it was just like go there go there go there she didn't even listen to any of the dialogue or anything it was just there 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 done that was it um, and it was semi-similar for Monkey Island, Monkey Island 2. And then I, at that point, after we played those, I, I, I said to her, shall we, shall we play a game you haven't played? <laughs> Similarly, playing through Monkey Island 2 today, I was able to blitz through the, the first act in a very similar sort of sort of manner. Apart from that was one puzzle I couldn't mm. quite remember how to do and I had to rely on Hannah for that. But other than that, I was... For a game like, yeah, according to there Steam... I haven't played for over 10 years. And I think before that, I haven't yeah. played for years before that. I, I must have played it an awful lot about 20 years ago when I first got this to mm. be able to remember the puzzles in that that uh, amount of detail. You're not playing it when it came out. I mean, it's interesting, really, your story about the boy who was also deeply engaged with this, with this game at the same sort of time. Because you were playing it, I feel like, in a similar position to where I was, wherein... You'd played Monkey Island some years before, is that right? No, I played them pretty much back to back. Oh, did you? So yeah. you were playing. So that's recontextualized your history for me because I thought you were younger than that when you were playing these games because you would have been in your teens. You would have been about thirteen in two thousand. Yes, I think I got Discworld. I was playing Discworld when I was top end of primary school, year five, year six, and mm. then we didn't get a PC at ourselves at home until I was in year seven. And then that was then the, the key that meant I could then start playing adventure games for myself at home that I right. could then I, get a, I've a hold got of. it now. Yeah. You've probably told me that and I haven't listened, so I apologise. Yeah, you were sort of playing it after the hubbub, after the... Well, they're saying that. 2000 probably would have still been a little bit of a hubbub, would there? In fact, maybe more of one. The game came out nine years previously, so I'm thinking about the, the circles I ran in. There wasn't really much of a, a Monkey Island hubbub. No, I, I, it's hard to say because obviously the game didn't sell as well as they were hoping it would sell. And so the hubbub wasn't necessarily there in 1991 either. But there was definitely a point at which this game became the game to play. You know, mm. like it, it, it gained some momentum. And obviously Monkey Island 3 had come out in 2000 and... Uh, sorry, 1997. Um, and then Monkey Island 4 was on the horizon in 2000. That was probably like 2002 or 2003. 2000. Right? It was 2000? Yeah. Hell. Okay, yeah, right, okay. I mean, that that time. 
Actually, now now I've said that, thinking about it, I'm. It must have been earlier. I played these. It must be ninety eight. I, I yeah. The timeline doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, t- to be honest, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things when I played these two games to other people listening does it no i suppose it doesn't i and i'm i'm actually just trying to work out part of my own personal history because hannah got monkey island for christmas i remember her getting monkey island for christmas but i don't we weren't going out uh, or anything in 2000 that was far earlier than so how did i know what she was getting for christmas that's weird i'm oh, weird oh worrying maybe she got it after maybe she got it later than it than its actual release i'm hoping i'm i'm hoping that she got it later i'll ask her after this all right all right sorry we keep disappearing from the game i i think uh, to be honest to to bring it firmly back to the game we tend to do that when we have experienced what we kind of expected to experience and i know that's my experience <laughs> to to say experience far too many times i know that that's what i've got from it i've i've not got anything new from it but that doesn't necessarily mean bad stuff um and i'm assuming that you're the same yeah, I think you you make a fair point. This game is exactly what I was expecting and indeed hoping it would be, and it really hasn't disappointed. It is just as good as I remember. The main thing I really enjoyed with this was actually two things, really. Firstly, the music was... I went into it really focused on the music, having talked about the, the iMuse aspect at the start, and the music is is so good. I, t- I talked in episode 45, the genre of music they, they dubbed it as was pirate reggae. And I think it takes that and builds on that so well. And the, the way the music seamlessly reacts to what you're doing and going between the, the locations it is so, so effective. Um, and then the other thing is, obviously, again, we talked about in the first half, is the humour. There were several points that made me genuinely laugh out loud, but lots and lots of occasions where it just evoked a, a smile at what was going on. Just little comments, little throwaway asides, little quips. It, it's such a, a tightly written, tightly focused game. It's a bit like thinking about it. It's a bit like one of the episodes of the sort of when The Simpsons were back in its heyday, where it was just joke, joke, joke the whole time. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong there at all. I think that they're probably pulling from the same well in a lot of in a lot of ways. There's a really good anecdote about, well, maybe not a good anecdote about The Simpsons about again this this heyday. There's an episode. Uh, I think it was maybe series nine or ten, where. It's a Sideshow Bob episode, and there's a character called Colonel Haberblap, who is only in it for about two or three lines, and the writers spent hours and hours trying to think of a name that was that was funny enough to justify being his character, and Haberblap was was what won out in the end. That's the sort of level of detail they're really going into in terms of The Simpsons, and I think that comes through in this as well, that they, they seem to be approaching it so... Uh, microscopically in terms of trying to crowbar and humour in every single opportunity which I I really like I mean I spent most of my time spitting at Wally so spitting at Wally I don't know <laughs> yeah yeah Is that- so you were talking about the spitting contest it's actually one of two spitting moments in the game or one of three maybe I can't remember but this is one of them anyway um, where you are caught by LeChuck and he he strings you up over a pit of acid and, and the way that you escape is by putting a candle out that is um, supposed to set off a chain of offence like Rube Goldberg style yeah um, mousetrap type machine. game and you have to use the grog to make your spit thick again, and uh, and put the candle out in a quite laborious 
over overwrought way because you were playing we both played on steam and you found mm. a save that was quite significantly far into the game so we we're able to jump into that bit whereas i was just going from the start just because that was what i was much more well not much more familiar with but i i knew that better which is the same well, I thing thought that but... if we had different things to talk about and that would That's probably fair. be good but we keep talking about not the game so uh, <laughs> it, it probably didn't matter but yeah that was actually genuinely fun and funny um the fact that you could spit at, at something that didn't feel like it should really hit wally and then it would end up hitting wally like you, you could spit at a pan that was across the room and the pan would ricochet the spit and it would smack wally in the in the leg or something like that it was fun. yeah i remember the sequence well and i i like the contrast you were you were going sort of heady and i uh, spent my most of my time spitting at Wally. Uh, I think it also looks really good. We again, just for clarification, we are playing using the Steam version, which is the special edition, which released in July two thousand and ten. We'll talk about that a bit later on as well. Uh, but we were playing just using the classic, the original uh, version of the game from nineteen ninety one with the original pixelated graphics, etc. And it just looks really, really good. I, I really like the use of detail, the way that again with the humor, the way the pixels are used the the scenes are created in such a detailed way to really draw you into the, the realism of that world and even things like having the use of foregrounds and backgrounds the way that things appear almost obscuring Guybrush from your vision so that it creates the sense of depth of the scene I really appreciate that yeah the pixel art was particularly brilliant in this and I think this might be because I haven't looked at Monkey Island 1 since we did the Monkey Island episode and just when I think about them, I feel like this was a dramatic step up in terms of the art. Um, and the, the thing that struck me graphically was when they were, were sat around the campfire at the beginning. And it's a tiny thing, but the way that they executed the flicker of the, of the campfire on the characters that were around that fire, just through the very subtle flickering of of a line of pixels on each of the uh, of each of the characters just to to suggest that they've been lit up by this campfire and that the campfire is alive and frothing well not frothing uh you know alive and licking the flames and licking the air um and lighting these characters up it, it was just it was very impressive in a way that i've never really scrutinized mm -hmm. before like you play the game and for the most part when i play adventure games when i play point and clicks I want the story and the graphics are a vehicle for the story. Yes, I, I like what I see or, or I like to like what I see. So Broken Swords style, I enjoyed the, the visuals as much as the story, I suppose. But then it's easy to overlook things. And I think because we were we were sort of really scrutinizing today, things were popping up popping out that mm. that I'd never really noticed before graphically. But also, like you said, the music, the music. It is actually really layered, yeah, and yeah. and quite complex at times. And also, there's bits where it's very sparing and and to some extent haunting. I know that we've been spent we spent two weeks comparing things to, or I'm about to make it two weeks where we've compared things to Breath of the Wild. But that stripped backness that you got in Breath of the Wild, where they took the motifs that people were familiar with and redeployed them in in very bare ways. Well there's an element of that bareness to some of the music here certainly on uh on scab island when you're walking around and there's that there's just like a little flute like mm -hmm. it sounds like a bone flute that plays uh, and then you go towards the 
um, Captain Dredd's ship, where you eventually um, commission him to to take you on your journey. You go over there, and you've got that flute, but then every so often it's punctuated with, I don't know what sort of drum, but very, again, spare drum patterns. It was great. It really made an impact on me. I don't, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I don't remember it doing that before, but I've never really been paying as much attention to it as I have today. It's well worth paying attention to is really what I'm saying, I suppose. Yeah, I think you're right. It is the fact that we were really scrutinising it today, but I was also really enjoying it. Even the opening credits, this very simple motif of the music, uh, with very sparse instrumentation was again really really effective mm. incidentally the opening credits are a really nice summation of what you're about to get like a little taster of uh, an amuse-bouche for the main course aren't they really because you've got the uh you've got the music and then you've got these lovely sepia graphics around yeah the 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 map style i don't know what you call those borders or something around the, the the actual credits but then you also have the monkeys um with guybrush um in interspersed in between the credits where the monkeys will come on and they'll do a silly dance and then guybrush will come on and uh, and chase the monkeys away and the monkeys incidentally have got a lot of character they're, mm. they're animated with a lot of character there, there are some very 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 subtle gestures that the monkeys do and the reactions that they make to guybrush that really speak to the level of detail the eye the eye for detail that was being um applied throughout the whole game so yeah if, if you really want to know just how well executed the game is go and watch the credits <laughs> just that those little sequences with the monkeys because they are they're, they're fab I picked up on that level of detail as well in Guybrush himself, where there were lots of little nuances that were brought into his character. So when you were chatting to Wally, for example, I noticed there were a few times where he gestured, or when Largo had him dangling over the edge of the bridge, that his eyes went big and, and you could see the whites of his of his eyes and just little little features like that I thought were really appreciated. Again, they might have been in the first one, I don't quite remember, but I just think he looked really good in this. I, I don't I just don't remember it like that it just feels like there was there's a level of extra here mm. that wasn't there in the first the caveat is that it might have been maybe we're just mandalaring it or something possibly possibly again comparison back to the first one one of the key designs that ron Gilbert wanted to bring to this one was to make it more open so i completed the first act and then went into the second act where you've got the three islands and you can navigate between the three at will to look at the three different mm. locales the first one was a lot more linear. You went from one island to the next to the next in a straight sequence, whereas this, as I say, opened that up, and I really appreciated that as a gameplay decision as well. Well, and design decision, I suppose. Yep. Last point then before we wrap up is the whole Big Whoop, Big Whoop debacle. As I said, we were playing through the special edition of the game, which released in July 2010 on PS3, iOS, Windows, and 360, which featured lots of extra bells and whistles, which I'll mention in a minute. The voice artists in that special edition called it big whoop well yeah which, which is what you said so <laughs> thanks for that there wasn't really contention there i don't think no no it, it, it was quite obviously hang on i've, I've re my notes the contention was the the big whoop what it actually is because you oh i, I, I said yeah. that it was intimated that it was something but it's never spelled out for you and then you did a bit of digging and found as a point where it's mentioned explicitly as being treasure yeah but then in the game 
as I was in the part of the game I played tonight, there was a bit where they mentioned that it held the secret to a, another world. Yeah, so it's not it's not clear what it is. No, nobody knows. It's it, it's kept it's kept ambiguous. But uh, the line is Guybrush says to Bart and Fink on Scab Island. Uh, the biggest treasure of them all, a treasure so valuable and so well hidden that it haunts the dreams of every pirate on the seas. And that is in reference to Big Whoop. So he does call it treasure, but it, the actual what it is yeah. isn't clear. But that's that's the nature of a MacGuffin. It doesn't necessarily have to be. And it, it, I'd love to know, I think everybody probably would love to know what, if anything, if it was ever supposed to be more than a MacGuffin, if it ever was going to be become something more than a MacGuffin, whether Ron Gilbert had plans for that. And actually, um, one of the things that the special edition has is a an audio commentary by Ron Gilbert, Dave Grossman, and Tim Schafer all at the same time. It picks up at, uh, on various scenes and various moments in scenes where you can press A, uh, at least on the PC, press A, and uh, they'll, they'll say a little bit of something or other on... The whole thing, and there was a there was a moment uh, very early on where they talk about. So I can't remember what they talk about. Sorry, I can't remember what they talk about. But Tim Schafer presses Ron Gilbert on whether a particular thing was ever actually decided. Was it supposed to be something more than that? Or oh, I know what it was. It was when you go and see Wally for the first time, mm-hmm. and they're talking about Wally and what happens to Wally, and they mention Wally being blown onto a raft at the end of the game, which I assume refers to when Wally and Guybrush are exploded out of, what's-his-face's, Latrux's castle fortress thing. They get blown out of out of that by a load of dynamite that they accidentally set on fire. And you'd never actually, at least I don't think, of, as far as I can remember, you never actually find out what happens to, to Wally. That's how Guybrush ends up on Dinky Island, but Wally is never seen again. And during this audio commentary, they mention... Wally ending up on a raft and then talk about how, as you sort of intimated in the first half, that was all cut. And right. they mentioned a few other bits that were were cut as well. And at that point in the audio commentary, Tim presses Ron on, did like, did you have plans in the future for things like that? And Ron got a bit cagey, it seemed. Mm. Yeah, if you are a fan, as I know you are, if you are a fan and you haven't already, then the audio commentaries are probably worth dipping your toe in because um that it's just nice i i always enjoy hearing creators talk about what they have made mm-hmm. and, and that one's a good one so so a few of the other bells and whistles that were added in for the special edition as well as the audio commentary are the fact that the whole art style was completely revamped had this sort of hand-drawn look uh, which every scene i went into i pressed f1 to switch it to this hand-drawn look just to have a look what it looked like and then switched it straight back to the classic pixel mode voice acting was added in for all characters using the voice actors from uh, Monkey Island 3 onwards, so the people that were canonically those characters. The, the music was remastered, and there's also a whole hints system where you can press H at any point to give you a bit of a hint as to what to do next. And if you keep pressing it, it will then become more and more explicit until it tells you exactly what to do next. It does three. I think there are three phases. So it does a subtle hint, a less subtle hint, and then a do this. Just do this. Yeah. That version is currently £7.19 on Steam. Uh, I imagine mm. it comes down from that quite a bit. It comes down. It comes down very, very often. Yeah. Does it? Right. Okay. And then again, that comes down very often. It's been as low as one pound seventy-four on wow. Steam. I can't tell you when that was. I can't bother to to search it up. But if you go to isthereanydeal.com, you'll see that it 
across all of those sites like Good Old Games, Steam, uh, Indie Gala, everything, Fanatical, whatever's listed on there. Uh, it tends to get below a couple of quid everywhere and it has been as low as 72p on one particular site. So right. uh, yeah, it, it's it's worth sticking on a list, I think, if you're not in any great rush to play it. Well, any of those prices, I think it's coming across, it's certainly worth that. I mean, 72p is an absolute bargain, but I, I personally think that £7.19, the, the full price that is on Steam at the moment, I think is, is well worth that to play a, yeah. a game that is, is regarded as one of the absolute classics of the genre, a game that is, as it's probably been coming across for well over an hour now, it's well liked by both of us as well. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a question, and you probably won't remember but do you remember how much your double pack cost uh i in think 2000 I, I think i was bought it for my birthday in sort of 98 99 so i wouldn't know in fact i definitely right. was my my grandparents bought it for me okay actually i just thought it'd be an interesting uh comparison but that's fine i would imagine thinking about the price of games then you're probably looking about 30 pounds but that's yeah. complete pure speculation. In terms of inflation, we're probably talking a few quid. Seven pound nineteen in two thousand, twenty-two years ago, it's probably a few quid, isn't it? Yeah, yeah two definitely. or three quid. Have prices doubled? I don't know. I, I to be honest, I don't have that strong a grasp on how inflation affects things in <laughs> that, in in concrete terms. You know, I don't I th- know what that translates to. Either way, it, it it's worth it. And then what happened to the franchise after this, as we've kind of, I think we mentioned this already, is the third one came out in 1997, but without the the main creative team behind this one and the previous one. Number four came out in 2000, and it then became episodic for Monkey 5 in 2005, going to this uh, sort of segmented chapter-based approach, which I've, I've got. I've got four and five, and never played either of them. Four was the first one I played. I hear that's a travesty. I think I borrowed it off Hannah. That's why I've steered clear of it, because I know it's supposed to be not so good. I don't remember it badly. I remember it fondly. So I've talked about, I, I've said to you about, I know I know we're cracking on and we need to start wrapping up properly and that's what you're trying to do. But I remember it fondly. I think that it looked charming. And I know that people aren't particularly enamoured by the graphics uh, for it and the changes that they made and the, the fact that it moved from the cartoony style, which was somewhat in keeping with the original two to this 3d this chunky 3d thing with mm-hmm. tank controls but none of it really got in the way of my enjoyment i hadn't played any of the others at that point and i haven't played four since uh, although we are on we were on the cusp i don't know why we didn't do it but we were on the cusp of playing it once we finished number three a couple of years ago and then it just got just got lost somehow it's probably hannah's doing she probably didn't want to go go there again but yeah, I don't think it's as bad as people say. It'll be an interesting one when it eventually comes up because it yes. is on my list. Yeah, I'd be interested to play it, as I said, for the fact that I've not played it. So it would be interesting to come at it as a proper fan of the series and see where it ended up. Yeah. Oh, sorry, am I not a proper fan? Is that what no, the no, intimation what... was? <laughs> Jesus no. Christ. What, what I mean is like your, your point about I know, that, that was... All right then. Okay, let's, let's stop, let's stop uh, antagonising each other. Thank you for bringing this game, Chris. I have had a nice time. Oh, I'll tell you what I wanted to share that I haven't had a chance to share before, before I do wrap up properly. But the sign of how fun this game was was that we weren't really talking to each other and the only reminder i had that you were there and presumably the same from your end was the occasional sort of laughter yep. on the other on the other side of the internet it is good it's absorbing and engaging and it, it got us both in into that frame of mind where you kind of lose yourself so 
if you want a game like that, then uh, £7.90. Uh, thank you for bringing it. Thank you to everyone else for listening. We will be back next week with our, well, we're calling it our 100th episode. To return to our frenzied numbering system for our episodes, <laughs> next week is our 100th episode if you discount our Christmas episodes, which we don't really count in the main thread of things. So next week is episode 100. We are doing something a little bit different. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but don't get your don't get your hopes too high. Like we had other plans that didn't work out, and they would have been spectacular. This is this is going to be fun for us. It'll be normal for you. So uh, well, hopefully, it'll be yeah. fun for people listening as well. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know, and I don't really care to be honest. It's I'm going to enjoy myself. It's going to be a real good chat, I reckon. So uh, if if you're up for listening to us enjoy ourselves, then join us again next week. Um, in the meantime, like, share, subscribe, rate, and review. Oh, I got them all. There we go. Well that done. was almost seamless. And uh, come and follow us on the YouTubes and the Twitters and the Facebook and the other one. Instagram. Instagram. Oh, you, you needed a clean, clean run, then. Yeah. Very rare that I do one of those. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.